Welcome to the first episode of the Dead Pilot Society podcast, where we take comedy pilots written by the most talented writers in television, cast them with the funniest actors in Hollywood, and give them the table reads they never got a chance to have. My name is Andrew Reich, and I'm the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. I've been a television writer for over 20 years, including seven years on Friends, that show your 12-year-old niece is binge-watching on Netflix as we speak. My co-host is Ben Blacker, also a television writer, as well as the creator and host of the Nerdist Writers Panel and co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. We're here because there's a lot of great television written that never gets a chance to be television. Every one of the pilots you'll hear on this podcast was bought and developed by a network but never shot. Because every year the networks buy far more pilots than they actually produce. And each one of those pilots wants to live. They want to live and go on to have Halloween episodes and Christmas episodes and season four finales. Unfortunately, most of them end up dead. Passed on, killed, busted, dead. Until now. Because we are in the resurrection business here at Dead Pilot Society, and we bring them back to life. So in upcoming episodes, you'll hear scripts from some of the top writers and showrunners in television. You get to listen to sitcoms in your car, which is pretty cool. We'll also speak to them about the process of creating pilots and the often very thin lines separating life and death. For our first episode, we have a brilliant script by Tom Lennon and Robert Ben Garant, members of the state, creators of Reno 911, screenwriters of the Night at the Museum series. They talked to Ben Blacker about the process of writing the script and what ultimately happened to it. It's a great illustration of the premise behind this podcast, which is that pilots can die for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with their quality. So enjoy the conversation and then enjoy the live reading of Formosa. First, a couple messages. Are you in Los Angeles? Do you want to see Dead Pilot Society live? You're in luck because we're doing one at Largo at the Coronet on September 25th. We've got scripts by Steve Agee, co-star of the Sarah Silverman program, Rob Schraub, co-creator of the Sarah Silverman program, and Samantha McIntyre, who has worked on Married and uh, whose feature script is going to be Brie Larson's directorial debut. Both scripts are really funny. They've got great casts which you can find out if you go to writerspanel.tumblr.com, where you also find the link to tickets for this terrific Dead Pilot Society live show. You can also go to largo-la.com for tickets. Hope to see you there. Thomas Lennon and Robert Bengaran, thank you guys. Thanks. Thank you for letting us read Formosa. Um, was that, this is many months ago now, but was that the first time you guys had heard the script out Ever, loud? yes, we've yes. never, yeah. We wrote that script out in Ben's old garage in Glendale, in yes. the Glendale near the Glendale Equestrian Center. Yes, you can tell. And even at the time, I just knew we were onto something. I was like, "This is a, such a good TV show." We thought it was so cool. Yeah. We we were at the time we were working at Jersey Films, who had produced Reno Nine One One, Jersey Television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was John Landgraf, who now has it was, been head of FX for a long time. Was it in between? Reno, the Fox pilot that failed, and Reno, the picked up show yes. that pick, was picked up by it Comedy was. Central. I didn't realize that, that was the trajectory. It was a three-year. Reno nine one one sat on the shelf for three years. We shot it in two thousand, like around Christmas two thousand something yes. like that. Passed on by Fox because it was considered far too gay to put on TV. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Which 
made sense because there was the, the last scene of the f- Reno pilot was me and Ben making out for a, like a minute and a half. And it was really funny. Of course. And it made it into yeah. the Comedy Central <clears throat> version. Yeah. Like Fox said, no, thank you. So it you. just sat around for years. And then in that period, we wrote a couple of pilots. Yeah. And Formosa was one of them. And Formosa, Formosa was the biggest one. So this was one. like, what year was this? Yeah, I mean, like 2001, 2002. Okay. <clears throat> something like that. And yes. Like, and it, we went and we pitched it to Kevin Riley. Riley. Yes. He was at the time the president of FX. He loved it. Yeah. We were like, what if we did, you know, it's like Boogie Nights meets Chinatown, you know, which is the, <laughs> because there must have been at some point, <clears throat> there was. People the creating the stag industry. People right. creating early pornography. Because as soon as technology exists, it's usually immediately uh, used to, to further the platform of pornography. Right. And at the time, especially, that was, I mean, it was a very contemporary idea. And then we looked up, and it turns out it was totally true. Like, as soon as movies, people figured yes. out how they could make movies, the next thing they did was put their dick through a glory hole. <laughs> and, and they were and super, yes. super illegal. Yeah. You, you would have to know somebody, and you would go to somebody's house, and it was usually a rich person, and you would yeah. watch a screening. A print. A print of like a, of like a 15-minute yeah. porn. And, and it was like cool and super, super illegal. Yeah. And like the, the LAPD had a whole department that was trying to stop stag pictures and like go out and find the maniacs making these things. And there were a lot of them were guys sticks a dick through a yeah. fence and women were, there's a whole old book on them and they're all, they're, they're not as good as you. Well, they're about what we show in the script, which is like sort of trying to be like under the, under the guise of doing like a classy art house picture, right. you just see boobies and <laughs> stuff like that. Right. The person making it yeah. knows why. They're Ours are actually right. tamer than the stuff we researched. Yes. Really. Which yeah. actually got a little weirder. There was people were actually making pretty hardcore porno strange stuff, porno orgy stuff. Yeah. Right off the get go. Yeah. How was this? I, I have a lot of questions because there's a lot of interesting things at play mm-hmm. in this, but just from the idea, how was this something that even you guys wanted to investigate? as a basis for not even a cable show, a basic cable show. Yeah, this would have been actually, this was, we were working on this for FX, who mm-hmm. purchased it, yeah. And it's weird, you know, it was right before like Mad Men, and right before yeah. a bunch of, and one of the things And that, Breaking Bad, it's like before yeah. all of these shows that are very much like Formosa, it, yeah. it, it was before serial, a, a serial that you have to watch from the very beginning, and it was actual story that was set in the world of crime, in the distant past, yeah. and now there's like thirty of those. Yeah, there <laughs> now, now there, yeah. now there are so many of those shows. Uh, to ask, I don't remember why, but we started to think maybe it was because at the time we both lived in 1920s houses. We did live in old places, yeah. But we thought you could produce this. You know, we we looked at Chinatown, and Chinatown was shot in the 70s as the 30s, and when you look at, and 40s, and as you look at Chinatown, it looks great, and and it's producible, and so we tried to think, like, let's write this for, okay, Orange Groves, we could find some Orange Orange Groves, you know, we use the, obviously the Formosa itself, which is, if you don't live in Los Angeles, the, in the middle of the busiest part of Hollywood is a very, very old bar called the Formosa, and it's across the street from what used to be Warner Brothers, and uh, right now there's a Target next to it on one side, and it's basically been just gobbled up by uh, development in every direction. But you can look at pictures of the Formosa bar 
and see behind it like pirate ships on the old lot at the which is now called the lot. Um, but movie stars used to go there for a drink between setups. You know, people with Errol Flynn and, and mm -hmm. uh, Clark Gable and Humphrey Bogart would go there and like drink and try to pick up starlets while they're resetting the pirate yeah. ship across the street. Yeah. And and so and we thought, well, okay, interior, we could shoot here. Yeah. And then it just and the world of it, it seemed to we love the idea of playing these two shady guys who never will ever make it good. And the whole no. the whole idea of the series was at the end of every episode, they're you know, they're trying to they they were trying to make it in showbiz showbiz and they just can't get it together. And so they decide to make it in porn, which is a new thing. And the idea was at the end of every episode, they would be much worse off than they were at the beginning of the That was episode. generally the thing. The, which is, uh, we cut off uh, Frenchie's ear. In the right? pilot. In the pilot, mm -hmm. he gets his ear cut off at the end. We wanted, we were like, should we do that? And we're like, yeah, that's absolutely what we should do. These guys should be always worse off next time. But the, And that yeah. whole idea is so much darker than what was in half hour TV at the time. Yes, it is. Even on cable. But it's, it's exactly breaking bad. But it's exactly yeah. breaking yeah. I still wonder you if, could make we this now. if we were to take it to HBO, if they wouldn't be open to the idea now. It's such it's also got like a super sexual vibe to it. Mm -hmm. and like, but it was also about, like, I, reading it, because I haven't thought about it until we did your, the reading, and it was like, it was about race, in a way. Oh, the, and then the, she, yeah. the, when, when she... She has to change her yeah. name. His wife is Carlita, and yeah. she changes her name to a white name so that they yeah. will hire her, even yeah. for his, her husband's movie. Well, it's loaded with those thematic elements that, like, you say Chinatown or L.A. Confidential, like, it's, it's sex and race and, and Hollywood. Like, it's all this really interesting Crime. stuff. Yeah. Movies. Um, what was FX doing at the time? Do Here's a, This is, by the way, a great story, and we should clarify, because a lot of times... There's huge reasons that your pilot does not go. Here's what happened on this one. Kevin Riley, yeah. president of FX at the time, very excited about it, loved it, thought it was a great idea. By the time that we turned in the draft, probably six weeks later, fired, mm -hmm. gone. Um, and this happens so frequently that it's weird. Just be careful, if you're writing in Hollywood, the person who bought your project, who is shepherding your project, who's all excited about it, they're not going to always be there yeah. when you turn it in. <laughs> and so in a way, it didn't matter. What it didn't matter what in. happened. I actually, I don't know for a fact that anyone read it yeah. sure. when we turned it in because they it, was, it was already considered Kevin's whole project. Yeah. Did Who you, cares? Did you still go through a development process no. on it? I don't think no, so. No, recall that we ever got notes, which is why Just it's probably still so good. No one ever did. <laughs> I don't think we ever tweaked it We all. never got yeah. feedback. Yeah, I think it was just dead. It was we dead on arrival. We threw it Rimal. into a black hole. crazy. Yeah. And he had gotten a great new job at the time. He moved on to... Fox Fox. Didn't he move on to Fox yeah, Proper? Yeah, so. Fox Proper. He yeah. moved on from FX to Fox Proper. Or there might have been some yeah. stuff in between, but it's always weird. I mean, it feels like... I mean, people hearing this, it feels like it's worth revisiting. <laughs> you know, there are so many outlets do, these yeah. days. And I think people are going to want to hear more. Let me ask you, did you guys... Uh, especially considering this was at the beginning of Reno times, mm -hmm. did you write it for yourselves? Yeah, yeah. It was we were the leads. Yeah. We were definitely going to be the brothers. Yeah, you write yourselves really well. And Carlos was was El Coyote. Yeah, like we wrote that for. We had just met yeah. Carlos Elizrahi, and he started in our Marine. pilot. Yeah. yeah, and he was so good in the Reno pilot that we wrote it for him as like an older thug. You know, and we love the idea of like 
which is true of like the the Mexican the mafia in Zoot Suit. Yeah. There's a song about it, but the Zoot Suit riots were a real thing. Yeah. It wasn't like a funny thing. You used to fight yeah. to fight with sailors in like downtown Hollywood. Yeah. But like the gangs in Zoot Suits having like fucking cockfighting out in the yeah. valley was such a great world that we'd never seen and still never really seen in, in movies. And it was yeah. such a cool thing. We wrote it for, and then we wrote uh, the main movie star we wrote for Toby Huss. Mm-hmm. The guy who's only in a couple Say of there, the guy who's playing yeah, Hamlet there. The really dumb Hamlet guy. <laughs> now, am I, do I know she's a cop? Can I see her? That guy is supposed to be Toby. That's Hans. supposed yeah. to be Toby. That's very funny. And I feel like the wife was written for Maria Canals, yeah. who we had never worked with, but who had auditioned for us. And we're like, oh, she's not really right for <laughs> this Reno pilot, but she's great. And I think we wrote it for her, I think. That's, or just in our heads. That's an amazing feeling, though, is you hear this new voice, mm-hmm. right? And you get excited to write a new piece for that actor. But she was great. That's so, really funny. yeah, so we wrote it for our friends. I mean, we really thought sure. that we were going to get to do it. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we really very consciously wrote a producible uh, pilot. You know, we didn't make it super expensive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was. it's, it's interesting to hear... You know, not just Formosa, but there are a lot of those old locations that absolutely you can use. Yeah, we tried to days. use places, uh, uh, Chateau Marmont is perfectly That's intact right. yeah. and it doesn't really look any different. And we could have shot and the 20 stuff at either of our houses. Yeah. Like we could have shot My house the, is 1913. Yeah, like we, we, we wrote it around locations yeah, that we wild. knew were achievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, this idea, though, of, you know, you guys genuinely thought this would get made. Oh, 100%. I actually thought it was way better than most things we'd written before or since. Even at the time, I was like, I just knew, I was like, this feels like a great show. But I I also think at the time, we'd never written a pilot that didn't get produced. I don't think we'd ever, yeah, we'd never. We'd never done a sport. They produced produced Hey Neighbor. They, like, we went to state, Viva, Hey Neighbor. That's right. Um... Even still, after Alabama and, and other stuff, we've never, I, almost never written a TV pilot that wasn't produced. And we knew this was going to look so cool. Yeah. We just, we were so confident <laughs> in it. But do you, I mean, I would imagine you guys write, you guys write so much, but you also write so many pilots, so much TV, that don't you have to sort of approach it as this is going to be made? Do you have to, do you have to have that mindset every time? It's, it helps. I mean, I will say on the movie front, our ratio of getting movies made is probably something like one out of eight. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about spec scripts. We never write spec scripts. Right. We've never written a spec script still. Uh, we So movies that they pay you for, maybe we get one out of eight made. Which I think, I mean, that feature seems that's yeah, not a good ratio anyway. Yeah. And TV, and I'll be honest, this was written long before the TV landscape changed. Mm-hmm. And completely... Yeah, and someone said recently, the, the line was that HBO is trying to become Netflix faster than Netflix is becoming HBO. <laughs> I was like, that sort of makes sense. That's yeah. about right. <laughs> Sounds just about right, yeah. But this was also, this was right before, you know, now I think, and I think, I don't know, I guess uh, Mad Men and Breaking Bad happened close to each other, but Mad Men was first, right? Yes. Yeah. But that sort of changed the landscape of television in that talented people who didn't get much freedom in features started coming to TV yeah. and bringing and in really, really creative really voices yeah. happened to TV. And then when that happened, it exploded. And now with streaming, 
it exploded again. And this was right before that. God, this you is, this is like Narcos. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> budgets. They're like in airplane. They're in perfect 1974 airplane. It's crazy. But I don't know if it came up because really we got thrown into the can as soon as Kevin Riley got fired. Yeah. But we thought this was a risky show that somebody would take the risk. We yes. thought that this was interesting, and, and at the time, nobody had done it yet. Nobody yeah. had done a narrative like that. No. Nobody had done well, a period. Yeah. Um, but only just. Only, but only like, like, like five like, minutes. Like, yeah. like five minutes ahead of it, yeah. yeah. Um, we wound up with a terrific cast, in addition to uh, Cedric and Carlos, uh, whom you guys mentioned, Paul Tompkins and Ben Schwartz. Who would be amazing if we really did yes. it again. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It would actually be quite perfect. Uh, Craig Kukowski played Genius. Blue. Genius. Uh, Craig, Craig like Kukowski. Craig Kukowski. There's only a couple people in the whole world who are so funny that it scares me. Well, well, actually, Paul Tompkins is one. Absolutely. And Craig Kukowski is another one. Craig Kukowski Terrifying. makes jokes that don't work, work. Like, oh, he, he yeah. delivers dialogue and it just is really funny. Like, oh, wow. Well, we don't have to change that after all. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a better improviser ever than Craig Kukowski, and the answer is probably not. No, he's not. as good as it gets. He's as good as it gets. Um, we had Alessandro Torresani as Maureen O'Sullivan. Mm -hmm. For that, I was looking for the most ingenue yes. actress. Yes, great. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and then, you know, their supporting roles, Janet Varney, Kyle Bornheimer, uh, and Anna Ortiz. Yeah. All of them were great. Like, this is... That was fun. You couldn't get this cast on TV. No. They're, they were that good. Yeah, it was <laughs> expensive, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, People and you couldn't get Paul because Paul's too busy. Exactly. Paul's too busy. Much too busy. Yeah. Sorry, Paul's on our show right now. It's hard to get him for that. Yes. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you, what are you guys doing these days? What's happening? We don't know when we're putting this out, but is there anything you can tell us about that you're excited to be working on? Uh, well, we're we excited to be Trump's show. president. Mm -hmm. It's very so we're excited uh, for President Trump. We all live in caves. Um, we all live in caves again. Uh, we're, we produce a show with uh, Kulop. Uh, called Bajillion Dollar Properties. That will uh, yes. no doubt be airing by the time right now. For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And is, uh, I think the first episode has screened. It's available on CISO right now. It's so good. Uh, and then there's 16 of them, I believe. Wow. So It's a really yeah. solid cast. And we appear in it as um, evil real estate Evil agents. real estate agents, yes. With Amazing. unibrows. Um, but we're doing that. We're mostly writing some movies and stuff right now. Ben is writing some TV things. Yeah, we're doing, it's all pilots. It's nothing mm -hmm. to plug yet. But sure. We have a book, if you are interested in this sort of thing, we have a book about writing basically for television and movies. And it's called Writing Movies for Fun and Profit, but fun and is crossed out. This is um, the only book, and I've said this on the podcast before, this is the only book you need uh, to learn how the industry works. It's not a book about writing. Nope. If you if you don't know how to write, then you shouldn't be writing. It doesn't really matter, yeah. It's a book about the system. It's yeah, a book about how to survive. It's fascinating. And I was, we were talking yeah. about, since we wrote the book, we did an indie and uh, mm -hmm. people have asked, should we do a second edition of the book to include what we learned about indies? And I was thinking, we don't really need to do a second edition. We just need to do a sticker that you put yeah. so that says, don't do indies. Yeah. Uh, and that's now, now that <laughs> Yeah, second edition. Don't do indies. We've learned a lot. It is funny because some of the crazy bad stuff that happened to us before we wrote the book, like even worse things have happened to us since the book. Yes, yeah. One of, one of which, and I can say it because he did it, and God bless him, he can do whatever he wants, but it was, uh, we had Adam Sandler attached to a movie that we were uh, selling to to Sony, and, and he was attached, and he was all excited about it, and his agent was with us, and... Like, oh my God, this oh is great, God, we're so gonna excited. do it, this is the next big thing, and we're yeah, gonna, oh, we're so cool excited, movie. so excited, so excited. We go in and we pitch it to Doug, uh, 
Belgrad, who's our friend and the, one of the very top people at Sony. Who we worked with a few times. And he gets a phone call in the middle of our pitch, and he go and he, has and he gets to, a confused. We see him. His assistant comes in, gives him a, a post-it, post-it, which is the the protocol. The protocol is the assistant holds up a post-it note that only the that person can see. He and Doug has yeah. a confused look on his face, and, and like, so okay. we thought, okay, this is something weird is weird. happening. And he's like, "Pardon me, guys, I got to duck out for one second. Middle of a pitch, goes out. Two, three, four minutes go by. He comes back in. He's like, "So sorry, guys, keep going." We finish the pitch. Finish the big pitch. Very exciting. Ooh. What we find out later is the phone call out in his office was Adam Sandler. About Doug was like, oh my God, i got to go take this. It's about something else. About something totally Some other different. Business, you know? oh, wow. Doug runs out, takes a call. He's like, and Doug says to him, hey, I'm hearing that pitch right now about the Vegas limo driver that you love so much. And he's like, yeah. oh yeah, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> what? <laughs> While we're in the other room. Why I believe that like the full quote is like, yeah, no, I don't think I want to do that. So like, that'll change your whole year. Exactly. Yeah. That's insane. And we've had like five of those since right. the book came out. And even crazier. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, we, we well, I actually wanted to ask you guys because, again, I love the book. I've read it a couple of times. It's all um, true. It, it, Too scary for fiction. Have things? I mean, this was like what five years ago. Well, oh, no, things are quite different from the book in a That's couple of ways. I would say. I mean, there's all these new television-wise. There's a lot of new venues to write for. Sure. Like TV's our, totally yeah. different. Our TV's, show right now, Kulop is so for CISO. TV is completely different. We pitched when we pitched uh, the last two or three things that I've pitched in television. It's complete. The the roster and where you go is completely different than two years ago. Of course. Like you don't go to NBC anymore. You know. You don't no. bring things to the networks anymore. No. At all. Uh, no. And movies, it's similar in a lot of ways. The big studios only do big giant. They make about six to eight movies a year, mm-hmm. and they each cost $200 million. And we they, came up in an era where they, the movies, the studios would still make a $35 million movie or a $25 million movie. Yeah. And maybe those exist these days. Really. I don't know of a but lot our, of But our first movie, them. the first things that we sold, and none of them were, like, like Taxi and Herbie, they don't make movies like that anymore. No. They no. don't make $30 million movies. They don't make fa- American family movies. No. They don't make, this is a movie for an American family. Like they, no. No, but nobody makes that There's anymore. no outlet for it's, that. If it's, if, it's not, if it's not Star Wars or the Avengers, it's got to be that large for a studio to make it. But then subsequently, there's all this weird new money that's coming in from China no. and from all weird brokerage firms. So people are, making smaller movies because they see that there's a market and that somebody needs to make these $30 million movies. And so now there's all these markets for people who pay you to make a movie, then there's no distribution. That's so it's a, it's a brand new world again. Yeah. It's fascinating. Interesting. It's interesting. Anyway, I'd love to hear yeah. your take on it. Please add it to the book. Put it on. Oh, I don't thanks. care. Uh, by the way, all the money from the book goes to the USO. We didn't take any money from writing the book. So uh, as much as we seem like douchebags, <laughs> we only slightly <laughs> less. Kind of yeah. Slightly less. So. If people are listening to this podcast, they should absolutely uh, yeah. pick it up. Let me also, also ask you guys, what are you watching on television right now? Uh, let's see. Um, what are you excited about? Just finishing Narcos, and I'm just finishing uh, Making the Murderer, which means that apparently everything I watch on television is on Netflix. Yes, Daredevil, which is on Netflix. On Netflix. I was on the fence about Daredevil, and now I'm starting to really like it. That's crazy. Nice. Um, These are good answers. Thank you, guys. Uh, and I think people will now enjoy Formosa. 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 Are you a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation? 
Well, that's weird because it's a corny show. But my friends Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica do a lovely podcast about it. It's called The Greatest Generation and it's on MaximumFun.org. I thought that this podcast was a bad idea, but I was wrong. Please listen to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. Uh, fade in. Uh, title card, Los Angeles, 1939. Interior, burlesque club, night. The air is thick with smoke, blaring jazz music plays. We see topless cigarette girl as she weaves her way through sailors and showbiz types. On stage, two topless women dance the jitterbug. We follow the cigarette girl to a banquette where she lights the cigarettes of Frank and Frenchie Callahan. Frank is all business. In a three-piece suit, his hair slicked into place. He used to run a major motion picture studio, but nowadays his suit is frayed at the cups and it looks like he always has a migraine. Uh, Frenchie, his younger brother, is a swinger. He digs jazz and spent some time in Paris not working on his great novel. <laughs> It'll make a fortune. It's groundbreaking. Never been done before. Dig this. Nobody's ever told Hamlet from the dame's point of view. We're calling the picture Ophelia. <laughs> Hamlet's over here, prance around in his tights, feeling sorry for himself. But what's she thinking, huh? What's her story? <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We're going to follow her on her tangled descent into madness and suicide. <laughs> Other angle reveals the man who they're pitching to, Lou Epstein, 50. He's bald and was clearly wearing a hat earlier in the day because he's horribly sunburned in the face and the top of his head is white. Uh, he considers them for a moment, then... It is a nudie picture, right? No, oh, yeah, 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 big time nudie picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't drown yourself without taking off your top. She's got handmaidens, too. They're wet, splashing, they took off their tops, and they try to save them. It's very post-impressionist. And hot. Hot. Wet. And post-impressionist. <laughs> Frank slides up to Lou, refreshing his drink. Our last three pictures all made money. Alice's adventures in under things made over a thousand dollars. We've got distribution in Seattle, New York. Lou, you could be the sole distributor in the Midwest. It sounds a little artsy. It is. It, 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 it's not. It's okay. not. Lou, there are very few. <laughs> there are very few sure things in this business. I am offering you a sure thing. Frank unrolls a poster of Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. In the lower right corner, smaller than Errol Flynn, smaller than Olivia de Havilland, is a voluptuous blonde. Margaret O'Sullivan. An honest-to-God movie star. She just finished Gone with the Wind for Dave Selznick. She dances with Ashley at the cotillion. I heard they dropped the contract because she's a dope fiend. Bullshit. You want to know why she got fired? Politics. Next to her, Vivian Lee looked like Artie Shaw. I hear that thing's a train wreck. People don't give a shit about the Civil War. <laughs> so how come she's doing a dirty picture? A glamour picture, okay? She's doing it because she's a serious actress and it's a chance to play Ophelia. And we made her a five-picture deal. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to see the same broad naked five times? I get that at home. Lou, my friend. That is the future of the adult film. The adult film star. <laughs> you know what? Come by set. You can meet her. Lou looks at them, then at Margaret's picture. He spells out a movie arc key in his head. One of MGM's top stars goes top less. I'm in, but we need a new title. 
Smash cut to uh, Margaret O'Sullivan's face. She's a stunning 24-year-old dressed to the nines. She's at the bar at Interior Formosa later. Uh, the place is packed with beautiful starlets and dashing ne'er-do-wells. Jazz plays. Margaret toasts Frank and Frenchie. Frenchie sits with her arm around a very sexy, albeit very cross-eyed, brunette. <laughs> They're all drunk. Jazz, baby, jazz. Frank pops another quart of champagne and pours all around. Ah, uh, to art! Art that makes you rich! We got distribution in 40 out of 48 states. That ain't applesauce, Maggie. Please, Frankie, it's Margaret. We pan to Frenchie, who's working on the cross-eyed brunette. That Shakespeare's from, like, the 14th or 15th century. <laughs> Women weren't even allowed to play women back then. You know, Ernie Hemingway once said to me one time, you know, I actually think this cat needs his coat. <laughs> the brunette stands up. She's a coat check girl. Uh, she heads off. Frenchie follows her. Back in the deuce. We pan to. Margaret finishes her champagne in one long gulp, then slams the empty glass on the bar hard. I'm going to need my two grand in cash in advance. $2,000 cash? What are you, buying an airplane? We don't have that kind of cabbage laying around. I thought your last three pictures made money. It went back into the company. I don't keep it in a mattress, doll. <laughs> Tough break. No pay, no play. She kisses him on the cheek and leaves. Cash, tomorrow, no problem. Frank stares bleakly at his reflection in his glass. A bartender sits a highball in front of him. Compliments of Mr. Carl King. Uh, Frank turns to see Carl King in an expensive suit with a hand-painted silk necktie. Uh, beside him sits the real Clark Gable in a dusty motorcycle jacket and two knockout starlets. Carl raises his glass to toast Frank. Frank raises his glass in response and pours it on the floor. He leaves. <laughs> Interior, bathroom, Formosa, later. Frank enters pissed. He spots legs under the door of the stall. Uh, Frenchie's on his knees facing the toilet. You all right, Frenchie? Won't be a minute! Come on, we got work to do. On the other side of Frenchie's legs, two feet in high heels come down to the floor. The stall opens, Frenchie emerges, followed by the cross-eyed Chuck coat check girl, re-snapping her garter belts. Exterior, Formosa, day. Uh, Frank and Frenchie step outside. It is not nighttime, but rather glaringly hot in California. They hop into a Packard convertible. After a few tries, the engine starts and they peel off down dusty dirt Santa Monica Boulevard. Exterior, Bank of America, downtown later. The Packard pulls up in front. Frank and Frenchie get out, straighten their ties, buff their shoes on the back of their pants legs and stride, and stride in. White two. Four minutes later, Frank and Frenchie emerge from the bank. There's just no need for that kind of language. <laughs> Interior, Frank and Frenchie's office, day. It's a converted garage behind Frank's small bungalow-style home. On the walls hang risque posters for their previous pictures, including Alice's Adventures and Under Things. Uh, Frenchie is asleep, a Time magazine over his face. The, the cover proclaims Adolf Hitler, Man of the Year, which we didn't make up. Uh, Frank paces, talking on an old-fashioned two-piece phone. Frank's gorgeous Latina wife, Carlita, 25, sits at an adding machine with their son, Frank Jr., four, in, his, in her lap. I'm begging you, what's two grand to you? I've seen you and your brothers blow that on pussy in one night. We got a genuine movie star, too, Margaret O'Sullivan. No, that was just politics. You're sure? Not even for your old pal Frankie. What about Groucho? No? Great talking to you, too, Chico. <laughs> he throws the phone through the window into the pool. Cocksucker, I made you! <laughs> Carlita picks 
Frank Jr. off her lap and sends her out. Sends him out. Vaya casa, juegue. English. We speak English. As Frank Jr. goes. I love you. Te amo, papa. <laughs> Frank kisses him on the forehead. How much are we over budget? $2,031 plus the camera and equipment rentals, which are due back in two days. Okay, okay, we could always recast. No, we can't. I already made the posters. Ah, we can make a sticker of somebody else's head to cover her up. I'm not going to make a goddamn sticker of somebody's head. A <laughs> <laughs> thousand posters times two cents. Uh, forget it. Without two grand, we can't pay Margaret. Without Margaret, we got him distribution. We're ruined. Carlita stands. Lights a cigarette. We can't quit now. We've worked too hard. We've come too close. And we've already spent $31. I've been from Santa Monica to the bowl with my hat in my hand. I've kissed so many asses, my nose smells like a bar stool at the Brown Derby. <laughs> he sits down, disgusted, after a beat. I might know a way to get the money. They look at it. Frank, I grew up in Aliso Village. One time when my cousin needed bail, he went to El Coyote. Who's El Coyote? Exterior. Orange groves, San Fernando Valley night. The Packard pulls through miles of orange groves towards a large shack. Parked outside the shack are a few rusty cars, pickup trucks, and one shiny purple 1939 Pierce Arrow. From inside the shack, we hear the shouts of many men and salsa music from a tinny radio. On the porch, three huge menacing Mexicans glare at the gringos as they approach. Frankie and Frenchie look at Carlita. Holy shit. The three men approach the car. One cuts an orange with a machete and noisily sucks it off the blade. The machete-wielding man leans on the car. Los gringos quieren ver el coyote. Policia. No. Es mi esposo. Bueno, pero es gratis. Pay him. Frank checks his wallet, hands the man $2. That's all I got. Uh, machete man points at Frank's watch. Rolo. The watch. Franks hands him the gold watch. Machete man takes it and leads them into the shack. As they go... Uh, How do you know these spicks? That's my cousin. <laughs> Interior. Shack. Continuous. A dozen Mexicans surround a cockfighting pit, shouting and gambling on two fighting cocks. The men in the front are covered with blood. Uh, machete man leaned, uh, leads Frank, Frenchie, and Carlita through a door in the back. Interior. Back room. Continuous. The room is hot and thick with smoke. Machete man leads them in. Uh, a wiry Mexican in a baggy zoot suit pants and a tank top closes the door behind him. He has a 38 tucked in his waistband. Behind a desk sits El Coyote, 40s, in a shirt and tie. On the wall behind him hangs a huge oil painting of El Coyote, <laughs> leaning against his purple pierce arrow, the one out front. El Coyote takes a deep hit off a joint, gestures to the gringos to be silent. He's listening to the radio with deep concentration. On the radio... That was some fast thinking, Tonto. Heap thanks, Kimo Sabi. Mucha Cassidy will think twice before he tangles with Wells Fargo again. <laughs> El Coyote shakes his head, confused. He looks to the gringos. Tangles. ¿Qué es tangles? Uh, tangles. Fights, messes with. Gracias. Yeah. <laughs> Frank nudges Frenchie and gestures to the corny. Frenchie hadn't noticed a Mexican man in the corner is tied to a chair, gagged with a black eye and a bleeding lip. The Lone Ranger theme music plays. El Coyote turns off the radio, exhales deeply, and stands up from his desk, zipping his pants. A moment later, a Mexican girl comes up from under the desk silently and leaves. El Coyote passes the joint to the gringos. Frenchie takes a hit and coughs horribly. He coughs throughout the scene. El Coyote turns to Carlito. 
Oh, your Carlita, Hector's cousin, right? Rapes. Sí. You are in Mark of Zorro, no? She nods, a little embarrassed. Hey, everybody! We got a movie star here. She was in the Mark de Zorro. I saw that four times. Say that thing that uh, you say, please, for me, one time. Bash, bashful, Carlita gets down on one knee, clutches her hands over her heart, and delivers the line with passion. Thank you, Senor Zorro. <laughs> it is an honor to meet you. Can I ask you, what's Tyrone Power like? I never met him. Oh, <laughs> you're a lucky gringo. You speak Spanish. They shake their heads. Películas, me gusta. <coughs> Necesitamos dos mil dólares. Dos mil. Puede comprar un aeroplano. <laughs> so, you guys make movies, huh? Yeah, that's right. I love the movies. <laughs> he turns to Frenchie, who's still coughing. <laughs> you want a drink of water or something? <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> El Coyote goes to a small safe, pulls out a large stack of bills, and tosses it to Frank. Here is how it goes. <laughs> I give you two thousand. In two weeks, mm -hmm. you give me three thousand. Mm -hmm. Comprende, coffee? They share a nervous look. <laughs> two weeks? No problem. We're sitting on a gold mine with this one. Buena suerte. <laughs> Break a leg, right? <laughs> Carlita, Frank, and Frenchie head out the door. Oh, that's some good shit. <laughs> Before the door closes behind him, they catch a glimpse of El Coyote. He ties a leather belt around his hand and punches the tied-up man in the face hard over and over. Exterior, poolside, Chateau Portmormont, night. Uh, the party ended hours ago. Uh, just a few stragglers remain. Uh, a few B-stars and starlets passed out on deck chairs. A goatee bohemian plays bongos. Uh, Margaret, in a fabulous swimsuit, is fencing with Italian fencing master Aldo Nati <laughs> with a long, droopy mustache. Frank and Frenchie enter. Fellas, this is the Aldo Nati. His left hand is in all of Errol Flynn's moves. <laughs> Aldo bows with a flourish. Uh, Frank opens a briefcase and hands her an envelope of cash. Jazz, baby, jazz. <laughs> she kisses the boy's cheeks. Uh, Frank pulls out a contract, then turns for her to sign it on his back, which she does. Hey, gorgeous, we got a long day tomorrow. <laughs> Interior, lobby, Chateau Bourmont, moments later. Uh, Frank and Frenchie stop at a payphone. Ah, what time you got? Frank looks at his watch, realizing he doesn't have a watch anymore. God damn it! What does a spick need a watch for? <laughs> Suddenly, a top hotel detective plants a firm hand on each of their shoulders. He's huge, towering over them. Gentlemen. <laughs> Gentlemen, are you guests of the hotel? Uh, no. He shoves them out the exit. Hey, get your mitts off, peeper. Do you know who I am? I know exactly who you are. I don't want you mixed making your dirty pictures in this hotel. Easy, easy, easy! He tosses them out the doors. Yeah, <laughs> Exterior, Chateau Mormont, morning. Uh, Frank and Frenchie uh, pull up in the Packard. The back seat is loaded with film equipment, a large camera, tripod, etc. They get out. Frank tosses the keys to a tall black bellhop. Boy, watch this baby like a hawk. That camera's worth more than the car. Yes, sir, boss. 
Frank and Frenchie head to the front doors. They stop in their tracks. The hotel detective stands, leaning on the doorway. Frank and Frenchie backtrack around the side door of the hotel. Uh, Chateau Marmont bungalows moments later. Frank and Frenchie sneak in through the bungalows. House dick bastard. I'll tell you something. When you're too dumb to be a cop in L.A., they ought to put you in a zoo. Dirty pictures, my ass. This town doesn't appreciate art. You know what they understand? Money. Uh. Ophelia's gonna be the first glamour film to gross five figures, and then all these high pillow eggs will be lining up to polish our nuts. <laughs> <laughs> From the inside, they hear the radio playing loud jazz. Frank knocks on the door. Margaret, showtime. We got magic to do. No response. He knocks harder. Margaret, you decent? They go in, no sign of Margaret. She skipped out. Bet she ran off with that fruitcake with the sword. Took our money, now they're in Catalina playing Spin the Dago. Oh. <laughs> she didn't run off with a stuntman. Girls like that screw up, not down, and they never screw below the line. Break this for a second. <laughs> I'll buy that. <laughs> so what do we do? We wait. All right, what else can we do? Meanwhile, I gotta make a deposit. Back in a deuce. Interior bathroom, <laughs> continuous. Frank sits on the toilet. Uh, there's a moment before he notices, in the clawfoot tub beside him, Margaret's nude corpse. Her big blue eyes stare up at him. He's totally calm. He stands, zips his pants, goes back in the bedroom. Uh, interior, hotel room, continuous. Uh, Frenchie doesn't say a word. He crosses to a small bar and pours two stiff drinks from a decanter. He downs one, hands the other to Frank. Jesus, Frenchie, we got 14 scenes today. Frenchie shakes his head. No, we don't. He gestures to the bathroom and pours himself another drink. Uh, Frank heads into the bathroom. From off screen, we hear Frank scream. Oh! <laughs> in the Act two. Uh, fade in. Interior bathroom. Chateau Mormont morning. Uh, Frank and Frenchie stand over Margaret's body. Don't touch anything. Frank looks at the glass and decanter in his hand and the glass in Frank's hand. He shrugs, pours them two more drinks. Ah, uh, you know what, we'll wipe them off later. <laughs> they took a look at the body. There's a hypodermic needle in her arm. Her bicep is tied off with a silk necktie. Frank eyes a small bottle of golden powder on the floor. There's our two grand. God damn it. What? The camera's due back tomorrow. Relax, okay? We'll recast. We'll have a new affiliate by morning. Meanwhile, shoot around her today. We could do the handmaiden stuff and some of the ghost stuff. We lose one day tops. People saw us give her the money, Frenchie. We might as well have stuck the needle in her arm. Right, 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 right. <laughs> we can bury her in the desert. I'll get the feet. Here we go. <laughs> no, no, we'll never get away with that. Here's what we do. Mm. We wipe our prints off everything. We sneak out the back. And when the bull starts sniffing around, we were not here. Fine. They wipe off everything in the room and take off. Exterior, Chateau Mormont, moments later. Uh, Frank and Frenchie climb into the Packard. On the third try, the car starts and they pull out. Uh, Frenchie makes a hard right up the hill, pulls the car over and turns off the engine. Shh, we gotta go back. Are you nuts? What for? I think we should take a picture of her. Frank says nothing. He looks at him like he's crazy. Hear me out, hear me out. When that Doheny kid was murdered, do you remember that picture? The one of the kid on the floor in his shorts with the blood all over him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every newspaper in the world ran that picture. Some enterprising person at the DA's office sold that picture. Guess how much it sold for? No. I will not be a part of this. Guess. 
I don't know, a hundred dollars? Frenchy gestures. <laughs> Ten centuries. A thousand dollars! Swear to God, I was knocking this broad in the typing pool at the Times. She saw the check. We're already down two grand. Thousand bucks? Yeah. And that wasn't a beautiful nude movie star. They sit there in silence for a long time. Interior, bathroom, Chateau Vermont, moments later. Frank and Frenchie have set up the camera on a tripod above the tub. Uh, Frenchie opens the blinds. Uh, Frank slaps his hand. Ah, okay, no, I need some light. You know what? I'm all the way open to two, two, eight. We got all of these, this, and this. Sure, sure, sure. If you want it to look like shit, but with the daylight coming in like so. He opens the blinds a bit. Natural light is always better, right? Light a couple cigarettes, smoke it up a little. Let's get some diffusion. <laughs> After a second, Frank lights a few cigarettes and they start waving them around. You want I should go down and get the dolly track for you? Would you? <laughs> Make sure you can see the goodies, Von Stroheim. <laughs> Exterior, backyard, Hollywood, day. Lined up outside Callahan's garage, a half dozen middle-aged women are pacing and reading scripts. They're a tired, heavy-set, spent-looking bunch. Interior, Callahan's office. Frank, Frenchie, and Carlita sit with blank expressions, watching a chubby middle-aged woman half-heartedly read from a script, uh, holding reading glasses to her face. She's terrible. Alack, and fie for shame. You men will do it if they come to it. By cock they are to blame. Thank you! You want to actually take my top off? <laughs> they shake their heads. She exits. Where'd you find these broads? Forest lawn? Kind of short notice. Uh, there's a knock on the door. They turn to see Mickey, a small, balding man, think Wallace Shawn, uh, and Schultz, a giant ex-boxer. Francis and Wilbur Callahan? <laughs> I know, I know, I'm late on the payments. Packard's out front. Here, piece of shit needs a new starter anyway. Mickey takes the keys and tosses them into the pool. Schultz pushes, punches Frenchie in the face. Frenchie holds his bleeding nose. Hey, take it easy, Pops. I swear to God, you said you was 16. <laughs> Schultz punches him again. Exterior, oil field, sunset. Establishing, oil rigs churn, massive exhaust flames blaze. Uh, exterior, oil rig, night. Frank and Frenchie have been tied to the rotating arm of an oil drilling rig. It raises them high in the air and lowers them <laughs> like a Ferris wheel. Schultz, uh, playing... Uh, 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 Schultz, playing some demented carnival game, waits until they're low, punches them in the face, and then waits for them to come low again. <laughs> a 1939 LAPD squad car pulls up. Tall, handsome Elliot Archer uh, emerges from the car. He carries two files, from which he reads... Callahan, Francis, born Chicago 04, Vice President of Production, King Studios, 1935 to 1938. Can for embezzling almost $10,000, but all charges were dropped. You must have some dirty pictures of Carl King, huh, Frank? Yeah, your mother's in them, too. We tried to get her good side, but she don't have one. <laughs> Schultz punches him. Callahan Wilbur, Frenchie. Mm. Public Indecency, 33, New York. Contributing to delinquency of a minor, 34, Kansas City. D&D, San Francisco. Jeez, you get around. Cut Frenchie down. Uh, Schultz pulls a switchblade and cuts, cuts Frenchie down. Oh, please don't kill me, okay? We didn't do anything. Frenchie. Dirty pictures. Smack. Dead girls. Somebody's got to go down for this. Your brother's the brains, right? You just do what you're told. I don't know what you're talking about. Archer puts one foot on Frenchie's necktie, holding him to the ground. 
Uh, Archer nods to Mickey without saying a word. Mickey unzips his pants and pisses on French. Oh my God! No, what hell? What's happening? No! Hello, <laughs> girls. Fresh off the boat from Kansas, you get them hooked on smack, and you use them to make your dirty, filthy pictures. Well, one of them finally turned up dead, and somebody's gonna hang for it. We don't know anything about smack, Mister. Oh, you didn't score it for it, Frank, huh? They're quiet. They whimper. Yeah. Yeah, here's what I got. I got a house dick can put you at the hotel last night. And half of the extras from Gunga Din. You can't hold us for that. You got nothing. Punch! I got you with the girl. I got you at the hotel. And as soon as I can tie you to that smack, that's accessory to manslaughter. <laughs> That'll get laughed right out of the DA's office. <laughs> I am the new DA, asshole. <laughs> Don't leave town. Cops climb into their cars and drive away, leaving Frank hanging in the dark. Exterior, uh, backyard, the next morning. Uh, the pool area is set for filming, with a camera on a tripod and a few vine-covered Roman columns. Uh, Carlita paces, she's been waiting for them. Uh, waiting by the pool are Chance Whitney, a tall, handsome, simple Gary Cooper knockoff in a cowboy shirt and a bolo tie, doing his best to squeeze into black Hamlet tights. The cross-eyed coat jet girl and a middle-aged woman uh, are wriggling into muslin handmaiden gowns. Frenchie enters. Bruised, dusty, exhausted from walking home. He beelines through the backyard to the office. Frank follows him, looking just as bad. Howdy, fellas. Hiya, Frenchie. Uh, Frank blows past him without saying a word. <laughs> Morning, gang. Just give us one second. We were supposed to be shooting... Oh, my God! Interior, garage, office. Frankie grabs a suitcase, opens a dresser, and starts stuffing clothes into the suitcase. Frank tries to calm him down. Carlita follows. Frenchie, relax. I don't want to hang, Frank! You can't just turn tail and run. Watch me! We can't quit now! Say the pep talk, okay? Listen to me! <laughs> when I say we can't quit now, this is not a pep talk. There's a very scary Mexican out there who we owe some serious cabbage to. We welsh on that spick, and we'll be taking the long dirt nap. We gotta press on. I need you. I wrote the script for crying out loud. Adapted. You wrote the script for crying out loud. Adapted. I adapted the script. <laughs> he takes a deep breath, sets down the suitcase. Ah, it's a wash anyway, Frank. Neither of those bras can carry this picture. Frank looks out the window and sighs. Frenchie's right. I'll do it. They look at her shocked. What? You know I could do it. Frank it, goes ballistic. In the house now. Carlita stomps her foot and exits. She's right, Frank. She's got the acting chops and heck, I'd be to see her naked. Frank punches him. Frank, uh, Frenchie drops to his knees. <laughs> Exterior, backyard. Uh, a chance is teaching the cross-eyed girl how to blow smoke rings. Frank snorms out of the garage on his way to the main house, all smiles to the group like everything's going fine. Almost magic time, gang. <laughs> Exterior, bungalow kitchen. Frank enters and approaches Carlita, who's furious. You know I could do it. I've been in five studio pictures. That's two more than Margaret O'Sullivan. Rest in peace. Makes a sign of the cross. You cannot be in this picture. If it's art like you say, why don't you have a great actress in it? I'm the best actress you know. You're a great actress, better than any broad in Hollywood. So, they're not dirty pictures, but you wouldn't let your wife do one? Then you're a hypocrite. Honey? That makes me a hypocrite, too. Do you know what my mother thinks of me, Frank? Do you know what my father called me to my face? And like an idiot, I've been standing up for you, calling you an artist. He grabs her by the shoulders to calm her down. He tells her simply, I love you. You're the one good thing I ever landed in this crummy town. But you know this business better than I do. Do you honestly think I can get distribution for a picture with a Mexican in the lead role? 
He looks her in the eye. Now she gets it. She's crushed. She sinks into a chair. You think that'll fly in St. Louis? In Indianapolis? I love you more than anything in the whole world, but you and me are running a business. After a beat. I'll make some calls. Exterior, backyard, uh, continuous. Frenchie is sipping from his flask, chatting with the actors. Hey, I don't get how come she's drowning with all of us around. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's poetic license, all right? At the end, we reveal that you're figments of her imagination, manifestations of her dementia. None of them understand at all. <laughs> Wait, am I really there? Yeah, Chance. No, 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 no. You're there. You're going to be there. Oh, well, okay, that's, that's well. That's good. Frank comes out of the house. Gang, here's the plan. We're going to be shooting around Ophelia for a while. Suddenly, Lou storms into the backyard, brandishing a copy of the LA Times. A police photo of Margaret in the tub is splashed across the front page. Frank yanks the paper from his hand and checks out the photo. Son of a bitch! Someone beat us to the punch! Wonder how vultures? Wonder how much they got. You got that contract for me? Frank hands him the contract. Lou rips it to shreds. He turns around and starts heading out. Thanks for the drinks, boys. <laughs> Frank grabs him by the sleeve, pleading. Lou uh, heads around the front of the house. Carlita watches him storm past. Wait, Lou, you can't breeze now. This picture's gonna make a fortune. Dead girls smack. Maybe that kind of thing's okay in Hollywood, but it don't play in St. Louis. I don't need it. Please, Lou, come on. Nope, no way, no how. You don't even have a star. Frank and Frenchie look at each other stuck. <laughs> when Carlita steps out of the kitchen door in her bra, panties, stockings, and an open silk robe, she's a knockout. Lou stops in his tracks. Carlita turns around, lifts her robe, and asks, Are my stockings straight? Lou nods, smitten. <laughs> and you are? She puts out her hand. He puts out his. Ophelia, you must be Mr. Epstein. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. Frank makes eye contact with Carlita, grateful. Yeah, yeah, we fired that junkie broad two days ago. We meant to tell you. Margaret, what's her face? Was always our second choice, God rest her soul. And you may recognize our new star here from a bunch of pictures. The gay caballero, Mark of Zorro. Carlita drops to one knee, hands over her heart. Thank you, Senor Zorro. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm sorry, what, what was your name again? Carlita looks to Frank, then... Karen. Karen Kane from Indianapolis. Why don't you stick around? We're about to start shooting. Lou nods, a little dumbstruck. She takes Lou's arms and leads him to the set. Frank and Frenchie snap into action. Okay, let's move, people. First positions. We're making a masterpiece. And the camera's due back in two hours. <laughs> we hear the whir of film passing through a projector as we dissolve to black and white film. Surprisingly beautiful footage. Chance as Hamlet stand, uh, hands a skull to Carlita as Ophelia. The film is silent. A close-up of Ophelia as half-dissolved images of madness swirl around her. A skull chants as Hamlet laughing, a ghost in a bedsheet and a crown. In the center of a spiral is Ophelia, tortured by her madness. Title card. Ophelia is tortured by her madness. <laughs> Cut to the river set. It's the Callahan pool dressed with some Roman columns and ferns. Uh, the pool bubbles and smokes with dry ice. Ophelia enters and falls to her knees, weeping. Uh, she looks into the pool and is horrified. Uh, her POV, shot from the pool's diving board, the topless cross-eyed handmaiden gestures like a siren from underwater, beckoning Ophelia into the depths of the deep end. Another angle, uh, a hand reaches out to Ophelia. She is surprised to see that the cross-eyed handmaiden is now beside her. She leads her into the pool. Ophelia changes her mind and retreats from the water. 
Her, her gown is now soaked and completely transparent like a wet t-shirt. The cross-eyed handmaiden tries to pull her under, tearing off her top. They struggle. Ophelia gives in and walks topless, trance-like, into the pool. She turns. The cross-eyed handmaiden laugh, then vanishes. Title card. It was just my imagination. <laughs> she swoons and sinks beneath the smoky surface. Title card. Ophelia, spelled O-H-F-E-E-L-Y-A, exclamation point. Uh, below that, copyright 1939. Uh, the projector stops, lights come on, Lou Frenchie and Carlita are watching the film. It's a peach, fellas. That's what I call a nudie picture. Sorry we had to cut the other hand, mate. Cameron didn't love her. Yeah, me neither. Don't worry, it's perfect. And Miss King, boom, boom, boom. Carlita, with Frank Jr. asleep on her lap, smiles. Uh, Frank isn't sure what to say to Carlita. Finally. You're a perfect leading lady. I just wish it was a real picture. What are you talking about? We finally made a movie somebody likes. It's true. None of them are quite sure how to feel about that. Uh, exterior, bungalow, Hollywood night. Lou, a little drunk, uh, packs a stack of film canisters into the truck of his car. Uh, Frank and Frenchie help him to the car. It's been swell. You got a heck of a time. So, Lou, uh... About the advance? You'll get your money in a few weeks when we start getting some receipts. I, I know we said that, but uh, me and Frenchie are in a bit of a jam. We need a couple grand. Two grand? What are you buying? An airplane? <laughs> they watch him drive off down the dusty road. A few minutes later, they spot headlights uh, heading towards them. They shield their eyes. It's a pickup truck. It pulls up to them a half dozen zoot-suited Mexicans in the back. Hiya, fellas. They grab Frank and Frenchie and yank them into the back of the truck and peel out. Uh, exterior, pickup truck, moving. Uh, four Mexicans hold the boys. They look up to see El Coyote sitting on the edge of the flatbed in a slick zoot suit with a fedora. Uh, he points to the gold watch on his wrist that used to be Frank's. Midnight, amigos. That's two weeks. We were just about to come see you. You got the money? Well, no, I mean, not yet, In but... a lightning fast move, El Coyote pulls out a knife and grabs Frenchie by the ear. No, 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 no. El Coyote slices, slices French's ear completely off. <laughs> Coyote puts the ear in his breast pocket. How you say in English, uh, collateral, huh? Now you pay me 4000 but you know can get blood from a stone. So until you pay me, you work for me. Comprende? They nod, not comprehending at all. Terrified. <laughs> bueno. He shoves them out of the back of the moving truck. Uh, they land on the dusty road. They lie still for a while, staring up at the beautiful starlit sky. Without getting up, Frank lights two cigarettes and hands one to Frenchie, uh, who's clutching the spot where his ear used to be. Thank you. <laughs> they lie there, smoking. We pan up, past the silhouette of the palm trees, past the Hollywood land sign, to a beautiful starry night crisscrossed with beams of spotlights. Fade out. Epilogue. Fade in. Projection room. Night. Frank and Frenchie look exhausted. Frenchie, with his ear bandage, loads a film reel into a projector while Frankie reads Variety. Uh, the, the headline, Gone with the Wind, passes million dollar mark. Uh, he throws the paper in the trash. Uh, Frenchie starts the projector. Black and white footage plays. The film of Margaret dead in the bathtub, lit by sunlight drifting through the blinds. The image is eerily beautiful. Frank shakes his head, uh, flips open the LA Times photo with, Margaret, with Margaret's photo on the cover. 
Uh, Frenchie notices something in Margaret's photo, takes the paper away from him. Frenchie holds up the newspaper. Frank looks at him. What gives? Frenchie points to the newspaper photo in which Margaret's arm is tied up with a black leather belt. Frenchie points to the screen, their footage. Her arm is tied off with a flamboyant yellow painted silk necktie. The design on the necktie is a California wildflower, the orange and yellow Formosa. Fade out. The end. So there you have it, the first episode of the Dead Pilot Society podcast. I really want to thank Matt Azelton, Mal Ward, Mark Mary, and everyone at Arts and Sciences for giving us the physical space to get this thing off the ground. Special thanks to Matt for the name. I want to thank Ted Leo for our theme song and Courtney Hyde for our logo. And thank you to Ben Cornelius and Ethan Walter for their help with the sound. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. We'll see you next month. Hey there, European Max Funsters. Do not miss your chance to catch some of your favorite Max Fun shows live at the London Podcast Festival, September 22nd through 26th. See amazing guests like Armando Iannucci, Josie Long, and Romare on stage with Jesse Thorne during Bullseye, bust a gut at classic panel show hijinks with International Waters, and witness some tough but fair internet justice dispensed by Judge John Hodgman himself. The Beef and Dairy Network show is already sold out, but hey, at least you can enjoy being in the proximity of the premier expert on beef animals and dairy herds, right? More guests will be announced soon and tickets are going fast. Go to MaximumFun.org for tickets right now so you don't live a life steeped in regret. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.